0: The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Good morning, church. Are you excited to be here today? Uh, I think one of the reasons that uh, that you're feeling such excitement in the air is because we had 50 ladies that were away Thursday, Friday, Saturday at Women's Encounter. There they are, there they are right there, and, and uh, there's some overflow happening in their hearts this morning. I don't know if, did you notice when worship started, they just, the, the women rushed to the stage. Uh, men, they showed you up today. Um... But uh, man, I've have, I have already been hearing great things from Women's Encounter. Thank you, ladies, for making that a priority. And I just celebrate the work of God that happened in your lives and in your families uh, this weekend. So, so excited about that. And I also want uh, to welcome Teen Challenge. Uh, they're here with us this morning. They're sitting right over here. Yeah. I love Teen Challenge. If you're not familiar, uh, this incredible ministry that we support, uh, they uh, help men and women. They have a men's and women's center. Today, the men are with us. uh, Help them to find freedom from life-controlling addictions, and uh, they do it better than anyone else. Uh, Five years after the program, there's an 86% success rate. No other program in the nation has that. No one. And it's because... They're not just teaching uh, how to get set free, but they're, they're teaching them that the key to that is Jesus. And so, uh, men, thank you for being here. We love you. We love when you're here. And uh, just come back anytime. You already know that. And uh, there's, a, there's a big gala coming up to celebrate Teen Challenge November something or another. What is it? Something. What is it? Sixteenth, I'm helping with it. I should know, but that's why I have a calendar. So I'll tell you more about it. You can come and be a part of that uh, if you would like. Uh, we're in a series right now called "Out of the Cave." Now what? It's a series all about mental health. We're kind of using the cave as uh, an illustration. You know, sometimes when you're not healthy, uh, you just kind of retreat. You you go into these places. I'm just calling it a cave. You kind of you kind of back in there and you hide out. You isolate yourself and. just kind of get in there. And and I just believe, and maybe you believe this too today, that that Jesus doesn't want you living your life in a cave. Does anyone believe that? And so I want to help you to find your way out of the cave. And then, really, more than that, I want to help you to stay out of the cave. And and I I just have to tell you something I'm excited about before I even get into the message uh, today. Throughout this series, you might notice we're talking about a lot of really practical steps that you can take. Uh, I think the Bible has a lot to say on these topics, and it it offers a lot of practical advice. And so we're trying to do that. I'm making book suggestions. we're, We're doing all kinds of things. But we're also talking about the spiritual Component to coming out of the cave. It's something I'm really excited about. We just put it on the calendar this week and maybe you want to mark your calendar now. Uh, Sunday, November the 12th, uh, we're calling this Breakthrough Sunday and uh, we're designing it. It'll be the conclusion to this series. We're designing it uh, as kind of this, this final you know, conclusion that, listen, anything that has not been broken off of you at that time, anything that you haven't found your complete freedom from, we're just going to continue that day for complete and total freedom, where it's going to be—I'm just telling you—it's I, I, going to be absolutely amazing. You're, done, you're definitely going to want to be here that day. So today, let me let me tell you what we're doing. Um, we're talking today about a new perspective. Okay, a new perspective. And uh, today we're going to talk mostly about the topic of depression as we talk about that. Now, you probably know this, but I'll just be clear. Depression is far more than having a bad day, okay? Depression is more than just being sad. In fact, uh, another way to describe it might be just it it feels like total darkness. It feels like you've fallen into a hole. There's no way out. You can't see the light Uh, at the end of the tunnel. You don't know which direction the light is, you don't know how to get there, and you just feel stuck. And today, we want to talk about a new perspective. Statistically, about 5% of Americans will battle chronic depression. One study says that approximately 21 million American adults have experienced what they would call a major depressive episode. And I believe, and I hope that you believe this too, that the church should be the safest place for us to talk about these type of topics. Does anyone believe that with me? But sadly, often, it's not. In fact, I think we sometimes as the church, Big C Church, do people a disservice because sometimes the church is guilty of telling someone who's battling depression things like, well, you should just pray more. If you just prayed more, you wouldn't be depressed. Or we just, we're, we, we don't take it seriously and we just say, you should just get over it. You should just think positive. We, we say really dumb things like that. And because we do that, we actually hurt people even more and now there are people in churches that are not only battling depression but now they're also battling guilt and shame because of this wrong belief around mental health. In fact, I'll I'll illustrate it this way. If you were in your life group and someone were to say to you, you know, I kind of have a a sore throat that's developed, you know, the last couple of days, you might say to them, you might say, you know, you might need to rest, you might want to see a doctor, you know, have you taken any medicine for that? And we add to that, and I'll be praying for you. Those would be appropriate responses, am I right? If you if you showed up at Life Group and someone said, you know, I was playing basketball this week and I and I twisted my ankle and I, I don't know, maybe I sprained it, we would say, oh, we we would sympathize with them. We'd say, have you gone to a doctor? Did you get an x-ray? Have you checked it out? Have you used ice on that? We We have all kinds of advice. I'm praying for you, but if someone says I'm battling, Depression. Often we kind of have the deer and the headlights look. We don't know what to say. And so, sadly, when we don't know what to say, we say really dumb things in that moment. Am I right? And so, I really want to help today and through this series. And I want you to know this. I want to be really, really clear that if you are battling depression or if you have battled depression before in your life, that it does not make you less spiritual. It does not. And I want you to, I want to show you this verse and then we're going to pray and we're going to dig in today. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says this, says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Okay. But a good word makes it glad. And, and here's, uh, I love this verse, but I, I was a little nervous to start here because if you are in a season of depression, you might push back a little bit on this verse and you might be thinking, gee, pastor, you really don't understand because it's just not that simple, right? It's just not that simple. I don't know that a good word is just gonna, you know, cheer me up today, but I just, got to warn you that today that I have been praying I've been praying for weeks over this message and I have been asking that the Holy Spirit today would illuminate his word to us and that today that a good word really would make you glad that a, today a good word would provide a glimpse of the future that Jesus has in mind for you today and today you might take your very first step out of the cave you might discover today a life that you never even knew Was imaginable. How does that sound? All right, so let's pray today. We do this every week. We just pause. This prayer is about positioning our hearts to hear what God has for us today through His Word. His Word is living and it's active, and He has something for us today. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've already done today. Thank you for your presence that's here today. We we do not take that lightly. And in this this moment, we're opening your word, and we believe that you have something for us today, and specifically, you have something today to give us a new perspective as we talk about coming out of the cave. And so, Lord, will you talk to us today, every single person, wherever we're at today, would you help us today? In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Depression, the topic, is complex, There's no one-size-fits-all solution. Depression doesn't discriminate. It it comes at all kinds of people. And literally, I just want you to know, depression can happen to anyone. Uh, I have family members who have battled depression. You probably do uh, as well. And I'll just tell you that I personally have had one significant season of depression in my own life. And that doesn't count when Lisa broke up with me while we were dating in college, okay? I say that during that time I was depressed and I might be exaggerating just a little bit, all right? Depression is a big deal. So first what I want to do, and then we're going to dig into the word, is I want to just give you kind of some context, a big overall picture, and I want to start with this, four root causes of depression. There's some, some causes, and there's four kind of main categories. The first one is that there are often biological reasons. This would be the chemical imbalances, or maybe you face chronic pain, and just day after day, week after week, year after year of that chronic pain. You find yourself mentally exhausted from that, and you find yourself in depression. You you might even, uh, this would be a, a fairly normal one that you might be aware of, is sometimes after giving birth to a child, a woman will have hormonal changes. They call it postpartum depression. These all fit into the category of biological causes. The second one is relational causes. So this is just, uh, the, the reality of this is that relationships are are sometimes difficult, they're challenging. And so maybe you have something going on with your children or with your spouse or with some other family member and all of a sudden you find yourself in this turmoil. Maybe in a marriage, maybe you're facing divorce or you're recently divorced. That would be a relational um, reason that might cause you to go into depression. The third is circumstantial. This is when there's a significant life change and that life change causes you to find yourself in a season of depression. It could be the death of a loved one or a financial disaster or some type of trauma. Um, Sometimes it's things that we even perceive to be good, but when we get there, we don't know how to handle it. Sometimes uh, a couple is looking forward, for example, to empty nest, and they've been raising their kids, and they've been working hard, and they've been getting them through school, and all of a sudden, they find themselves in that empty nest season and they thought it was going to be exciting. And then they look at one another and they go, I don't know what to do in this new season. And they find themselves depressed. Sometimes a, a, a couple will finally get to retirement and they've been planning and saving and dreaming. And then they get there and they go, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And that can lead to a season of depression. And then finally, there's a, 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 a fourth root cause and it's spiritual attacks. Uh, And I just, here's the deal. I don't want to give the devil too much credit, but I also don't want to under-credit the devil, all right? I don't want to over-spiritualize depression, and I don't want to under-spiritualize it. So I'll just say this, is I need you to recognize that you and I are in a battle, and the scripture says we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities in the heavenly realms. And I just want you to know that there are times when the depression that you are experiencing Links back to the spiritual attack that the enemy has waged against you and your family. Now, we see depression in quite a few places in Scripture. And today, I want to show you a depressed man of God by the name of Jeremiah. Um, he's actually sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet, okay? And that's that actually refers to his emotions because he was, he was just breaking down all the time. But God used him powerfully as a man of God, as a prophet of God. And we're going to read his writings today in a book that the the title of the book is actually depressing in itself, okay? Um, you might remember this book in the Bible called Lamentations. Have any of you ever read Lamentations? Sometimes you get to Lamentations you're like, nope, not today, right? I, I, I have enough lament in my life. I am not reading that today. And, and today I want to go to Lamentations. Jeremiah writes there. Lamentations chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And I'll just give you a quick context for where we are. You might Remember um, that Solomon uh, built a temple to the Lord. He built a temple for the people to come and to worship in. And it stood for about 400 years until uh, it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. And the reason I want you to know about this is that Jeremiah was alive when the temple was torn down. He was alive when the Babylonians attacked his family, his home, his friends. So, what this means is Jeremiah personally witnessed his loved ones being murdered, his loved ones being taken into captive, and he witnessed his hometown being destroyed. When you understand that, you go, oh, now I kind of understand why Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. I kind of understand his depression. Now listen to the words and the way that he describes how he's feeling in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 1. Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord." Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than the light. In other words, he's going into a cave, right? Verse 3. Indeed, he's turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and he has broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call, out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. I'm going to pause there because sometimes when you're depressed, you don't even feel like God himself is listening to you. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. He says, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust I've been so deprived of peace, I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I'd hoped from the Lord. Do you hear him giving up? He's just Given up. He said, "It's it's over. It's all gone. Everything that I hoped from the Lord is gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast my soul is depressed, is what he's saying, within me. I don't know uh, about you, but I can't read that passage on some days, all right? There are just some days where I'm already feeling down in the dumps, and I'm going to avoid those verses in Lamentations 3. Now, one of my goals for this series is to change the stigma around this topic, and so I want to start with this, that If you are depressed today or you have been depressed in the past or you're worried about it or you have a family member, I want you to hear two things right away. I want you to hear this. Number one, your emotions are valid. I want you to know this that I believe that your emotions are valid. And sometimes in our culture, we inaccurately teach people that feelings don't matter. In fact, I think we make two mistakes. I think sometimes we tell people that their feelings don't matter, and other times we make them matter more than they should. Okay, So I just wanna say this to you today. I want you to know that your emotions are valid. And then the second thing I want you to hear me today, today is this, is that I understand that you feel like you're. Your situation is hopeless. I understand that you feel that your situation is hopeless. When you're facing a situation that's bigger than you and you see no way out, your heart has a tendency to become hopeless. And this is where Jeremiah is in Lamentations chapter 3. Now, while these two statements I've just made to you are absolutely true, I also believe that they are incomplete. So I want to go back. I'm going to say them to you again. But today, I want to hopefully want to give you a new perspective. I want you to know today that your emotions are valid, but let me complete the sentence, but they are not permanent. Your emotions are valid, but they are not permanent. We're going to talk about it more. Number two, I understand that your situation feels hopeless, but I also want you to know today that, that but with God, all things are possible. That, to, that you might feel like it's hopeless, but with God, there is always hope. So let's talk about this today. When you are battling depression, your emotions are valid, but they are not permanent, okay? In fact, I would I would tell you that not only are your emotions valid, but they're also a very important part to your healing, okay? Experts will tell you that to begin to find healing, you first have to acknowledge your emotions, and some experts will actually tell you to name them, okay? So acknowledge your emotions, acknowledge what you're feeling, and to give it a name. Uh, Throughout this series, because there's just way too much that we could ever cover in the few weeks that we're doing it, I'm making some book recommendations. So I want to tell you about a book I recently read called The Cost of Control by Sharon Miller. And in this book, she talks about that this idea that naming is powerful. And the way she describes it, and it just worked so well for my brain is she points us to Genesis where Adam and Eve are placed on the earth, the first man, the first woman, and God comes along and he gives them a job. And one of their jobs you might remember was to name all of the animals. Do you remember this? And I've always thought that this would be fun. I've always thought it would be fun to walk with Lisa through the Garden of Eden and to find the animals and to talk about the animals and to describe the animals and to come up with a name for the animal. Wouldn't that be fun? And so, I mean, think about the power of naming, okay? They see an animal, and it's really big, and it's gray, and it has this funny nose coming off of it. It's real long, and and the boys, they have these these tusks coming out of it, and so they're looking at it, and they're trying to come up with a name, and instead of saying, hey, honey, look, there's that large gray animal with the funny nose, they come up with a name. They call it the Elephant. elephant. What a fun name, right? They call it the elephant, which is so much easier to say than the large gray animal with the funny nose, right? And they keep walking, and all of a sudden, they cross an animal. This one's much smaller than the elephant. It slithers on the ground. It sticks out its tongue. It's got a little forked tongue that keeps going out, and Eve's like, ooh, I don't like that one. And so Adam says, instead of calling it the long, slender, slithering animal with the forked tongue, they say, that will be a snake, right? So much, so much easier. And they keep walking and they, they see, they had already seen a bear and they called that animal a bear. And they saw this other animal and it's, it's smaller than a bear, but it's mean like a bear. So they called that one a badger. Okay. They called that one a badger. And and, and then they keep walking and they see this awful, awful animal and it keeps coughing up fur balls and it purrs and it, it's, they, they don't know what to call it. You know, and Satan was already taken. And so they just called it a cat. Okay. They just called it a cat, I know I know nay naming and that 's the day three families left the church. naming saved time, it made communication so much easier, but I want you to see that it points to the purpose of naming. What is the purpose of naming, you ask? It is simply to identify exactly what we are talking about. Naming gives the ability to be very specific, to to be very specific. This is who and what and where and how and when we are talking about. It becomes so powerful. So as we talk about mental health and we talk about that your feelings are valid but they're not permanent, I'm trying to help you because this idea of naming can be so, so powerful because today what you might need to do is you might need to go and you might need to find a name for the correct medical diagnosis for the thing that you are battling. And now, listen, don't be scared of medical diagnosis. Now it has a name. Now you know what you're up against. Now you know who your enemy is. Now you know how to attack it. Now you know who to talk to. Now you know what to read about. Now you know how to pray. All of a sudden, that naming that sometimes is so scary is empowering. You might need to name a destructive pattern that's been in your family for generations. You might need to name that addiction that's been eating your lunch. Month after month, year after year, and now that has a name now you know what to go up against now you can share that with your life group and you can ask for prayer and they know how to support you and they can hold you accountable and they can check on you are you seeing the the powerful piece of naming? maybe today you need to finally acknowledge and name that there was a season in your life where you were physically abused or mentally abused or emotionally abused or sexually abused, and all of a sudden you been hiding that, and it's been a secret, and you've been, you don't want to talk about it, and it's just, it's dark, and it's ugly, and you're just hoping no one ever finds out, but I'm telling you, the moment you name it, all of a sudden, it becomes empowering. Naming something correctly has the ability to disarm it of its power. The enemy loves to hold those things over your head, but when you name it, all of a sudden, it's identifiable and it disarms the enemy of his power. So I'd encourage you today, as you start to come out of the cave, to be honest with yourself, that's the first step, and to be honest with God, and to be honest with at least one other God-fearing person who loves you, and to name your emotions. It's okay for you to say, I feel angry. It's all right for you to say, I'm afraid. I'm hurt, I'm depressed, I I I I'm numb, I I hey, all of those things are good. I want you to name your feelings. Uh, One of the feelings I mentioned was afraid. Uh, So I'm going to go back to that for just a minute. Um, And I'm going to ask a question, is there anyone here today that you are afraid of spiders? Anyone afraid of spiders? It's okay, you can can admit it. Afraid of spiders. Um, A couple of years ago, Lisa, uh, Lisa was out of town, and so the girls and I went down into the Gila wilderness. And as we were driving along, we kept seeing these big, hairy spiders crossing the road. You probably already know. They're called tarantulas. So the next tarantula I saw, we pulled over, okay? Because that's what I do. We pulled over. And the girls and I, we caught, look how young Ava and Eden are. And me too. And we caught this the spider. We didn't catch him. We put him on a stick and we took a picture with the tarantula. How many of you right now are just like, ugh, I do not want to look at that. Why are you doing this to me, pastor? Okay, because I, 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 I'm trying to help you. There was a study that was done on a group of adults who admitted that they were afraid of spiders. They were shown a tarantula that was in a cage and then they were split into four groups and each group was asked to do something different. Are you following me? You follow me, say you with me. Or I start all the way over. Okay. Number one, four groups, four groups, okay? Group 1, they were asked to label what you're feeling. Here's the spider what are you feeling? So they wrote things like, I hate big hairy spiders, and I am afraid, right? Things like that. They, they named their feelings as they looked at the big hairy spider. Group two, they said, just make an observation, okay? Not feelings, just observation. So they would say, there is a tarantula in a cage, right? No feelings, just an observation. Group three, they said, just write something that's completely irrelevant to what you're looking at, right? So they wrote things like, I like fly fishing, right? Uh, The sky is blue. We live in a desert, right? Just whatever. And then number four, they said, don't write anything at all. Don't say anything. Look at the spider, keep it to yourself. A week later, they bring the four groups back and again, they expose them to the tarantulas, but this time they measured their physiological responses, okay? They looked at their heart rate. They looked at their sweat. They looked at all of these responses to the the spiders a week later, and here's what's absolutely amazing is what they learned is that the group that labeled their feelings did better by a significant amount than all of the other groups combined. I'm telling you today, they naming your emotions opens the door to changing your emotions. Don't be afraid of them. Don't lock them up. Don't pretend that they're going to go away all by themselves. Your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. So I want you to name them. I want you to identify them. Your emotions are real. In fact, God himself gave you those emotions. God Himself designed you to feel the things that you feel so they are valid, but they're not permanent. And when you name them, you open the door for God and His authority to help you to overcome. Here's a mistake that we sometimes make don't make permanent decisions with your temporary emotions. Are you following me? Here's the mistake. Don't make permanent decisions with your temporary emotions. Some of our worst decisions are made when we feel discouraged and depressed and afraid and overwhelmed. So name the emotion, understand that it's temporary, and then wait to make big decisions, okay? Don't make, like it's, it's this simple, okay? Don't go grocery shopping when you are hungry, have you ever done that? Yes. If you go grocery shopping while you're hungry, everything looks good, am I right? Right? This is the idea. Don't make big decisions based on temporary emotions. Here's an example. Let me, uh, let me, let me rephrase it. Don't make permanent conclusions. So, don't make permanent decisions. Don't make permanent conclusions with temporary decisions. Here's my example. Please don't give up on your marriage in the heat of an argument. Don't don't make a, a permanent conclusion with temporary feelings. Be mad at him, be mad at her. That's okay. The emotion you're feeling in that moment is okay. But do not come to a permanent conclusion. If you've ever been in pre-marriage or even marriage counseling with Lisa and I, we say this almost every couple we've ever met with, probably every couple we've ever met with, we look at them in the eye and we say, listen to me, do not use the D word. Do not say the word divorce. Because what happens is you get in a fight. And all of a sudden, one of you comes to a permanent conclusion and you say, well, maybe we should just get divorced. That's a permanent conclusion based on temporary emotions. And let me tell you, in marriage, it's, it's scary because when you open that door, you can never fully close it back. That's why I just, I just take it out. Don't, just, we're never going to say it. Fight, you know, be mad at each other, do all of that, but don't make Permanent conclusions based on temporary emotions. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 tells us why this is so important. It says, In your anger, do not sin. I've always said it's okay to be angry. What the Bible cautions us against is, In your anger, don't sin. Be careful what you do with your emotions. Don't make permanent conclusions based on temporary feelings. Here's some clue some clue words, okay? All, always, and never, okay? All, always, never. These are clues that you're about to make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion, okay? When you say, well, all men are this way all women are this way, all this. Or if you say never, that never happens. Or if you say always, this always, you always do this. Those are clue words that your heart has gone to a permanent conclusion based on a temporary feeling. And I, I, need, I need you to give me your full attention for just a moment because it's so important. One of the most dangerous times That you have to keep this in mind is in your darkest days when the enemy comes and he whispers in your ear and he tries to convince you that the world would be better off without you. That the answer to your problem is to simply take your own life and everything will be solved. That is a permanent conclusion based on a temporary emotion. Your emotions are valid. I understand that you might be in the darkest days of your life and you don't see a way out, but I'm just telling you it's not permanent. It is not permanent. Don't make permanent conclusions with temporary emotions. Feel your emotions, but don't be ruled by them. Your situation may feel hopeless, but with God, there is always hope. Does anyone believe that today? Your situation, your situation may feel hopeless. I've been there, okay? I've been there, I promise you. But with God, there is always hope. So, so far, we've only read the depressing parts of Lamentations chapter 3. I, I stopped where I did on purpose, Okay. We stopped where, you know, in verse 20 where Jeremiah is saying, my soul is downcast within me. My soul is depressed within me. But the next verse starts with this word. It's such a powerful word. It's only three letters. The very next verse, Jeremiah says, yet. Everyone say yet. Yet. I'm going to tell you the rest. but, But before I do, let me just tell you this. My prayer this week is that some of you today would have your yet moment. Some of you today... You need a yet moment. Jeremiah, he looked down, he said, my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. And in his darkest days, Jeremiah calls to mind the character of God and he discovers hope. Can I read it to you? Verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. By the way, by the way, as I read scripture, this is what I do in my own when I'm reading scripture. If you could be sitting beside me while I'm reading it, sometimes I come to a verse and I read it and I just pause and I go, that's for me, okay? I'll just I'll go, that's for me. Or I go, that's for my family. That's for my marriage. That's for my church. That's for my city. That's for me. So some of you today, this is gonna start your yet moment as I'm reading the promises of God. Some of you right now, you're gonna go, that's for me. Jeremiah says, because Lord, your great love, I am not consumed. Guys, he is so far back in the cave. Did you hear it? He's like, you've broken my bones, you've broken my teeth, there's not, I mean, he's so, but all standing, a sudden he says, yeah, I call this to mind. Because of your great love, I'm not consumed. You know what he did? He took a step, took one step, He started to acknowledge the goodness of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord. And then he says, for your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait in this deep, dark cave for him to come and to rescue me. He says the Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait patiently, quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That's a better part of Lamentations, am I right? So what do you do when you're depressed? Just like Jeremiah, my encouragement to you today is to run to Jesus. Again, I don't want to over-spiritualize. I don't want to under-spiritualize. I want you to run to Jesus. Here's Jeremiah running to Jesus. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Guys, waiting is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, am I right? So here's my encouragement. As you wait on the Lord, just keep doing the healthy things that you know to do. I remember asking my counselor one day, y'all remember Peter, I talked to Peter. I said, Peter, I just wish that the healthy things felt better. (laughs) Like, like, I wish that broccoli tasted like donuts, right? (laughs) I wish, I, I wish it felt better to exercise. Right? I wish that every time I finish spending time in the presence of God that I float it out on a glory cloud. Right, But I don't. There are days when I just kind of come out of that time and I'm like, well, I did it. I did the healthy thing. I remember Peter saying, they don't always feel healthy, but they compound. It's like compound interest. They compound, and one day, You break through. So while you're waiting on the Lord, just keep doing the healthy things. Keep spending time in the presence of God. Keep, keep going to church. Keep praying. Keep going to your life group. Keep exercising. To take a look at your diet. Go to the counselor. Read the book. Like do all of the healthy, healthy things. But the anchor point is this. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And he begins to remind himself of God's strength and his power and his goodness. And then he steps out. Of the cave. I went back to a old journal that I that I have and because I remembered, I remembered a day I got up before the rest of my family. I wasn't depressed, but I probably wasn't far from it. I was I was angry and frustrated and sad and I got up early to pray. We have these big beautiful windows that in our living room I open them up and can look out over the city and towards the mountains I had a little worship song playing I was just praying and just spinning I was doing the healthy thing even though I didn't feel it are you following me and I was praying and and I'm I'm gonna be vulnerable for a minute I'm gonna read you here's here's what I wrote in my journal that day okay this is an excerpt I I found myself as I was looking out over the city and I was praying I found that all of a sudden the spirit of God began to minister to me And this is going to sound silly to you because it was personal. It was just to me. But I wrote that day, I said, he also, the Lord, he gave me confidence. I was watching the sunrise and singing a song to the Lord when two hot air balloons rose. I realized in that moment That God has me and he has those two balloons and he has everyone else in the world in his hands simultaneously and he's big enough to handle that. Why did two balloons rising over the city give me that? I still to this day don't know. And then I wrote this. This confidence makes me less susceptible to huge emotional swings because I know I can trust the Lord. Y'all, I remember, why don't, you, why don't you stand with me? Why don't you stand with me? I remember Lisa woke up that morning and I shared this with her. And I remember her being like, that's, that's cool, babe. And I remember thinking, it was so much more powerful. <laughs> you should have seen it. <laughs> you should have heard. Yeah, and I realized that what had happened is that it had a revelation, to bring me out of the cave. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're to worship. We have one final song. We're going to worship. I'm going to leave you with this. I'm, I'm going to leave you with this word. Surrender. Surrender. You can either surrender today to your emotions. I'm angry. I'll never change. I'm depressed. I'll never change. You can surrender. Or... You can surrender to the Lord, and that's what I love about worship, is that as we worship, and maybe maybe you've never been in a culture like this, and you looked around earlier, and we were worshiping, you saw people raising their hands, and you saw people coming to the altar, and you saw people bowing down, you saw people sing, you saw all of that, and you wondered why are they doing all of those things? It's it's a sign of worship. He's saying, Lord, I don't know how to fix what has me depressed right now. But rather than surrender to my feelings because they are not permanent. I am not going to stay this way my whole life. It's temporary. I am just gonna surrender to you. And I'm asking you to give a good word over my heart that would make me glad today, to speak a good word over my marriage, over my health, over my home, over my finances, over my job, over my kids that would allow me to just today take a first step and to recognize that because of your love, we are not consumed, because of your compassions that get refreshed every single day. I am not, God, I'm gonna make it through this. Are you following me? And so I wanna encourage you today, especially if you're back in the cave, to surrender through worship today. I said this last week. When you feel good, it's easy to worship. When you don't, it's a sacrifice. And today, some of you need to sacrifice and worship and surrender. And today, I'm just telling you, today's gonna be a breakthrough day for some of you. And you're gonna come out of the cave. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.